So the title of the lesson is Baby Jesus Became the Lamb of God. And we celebrate the Christmas season, and Jesus, I think many people may know this, but Jesus, no one knows when actually Jesus was born. But it's certainly, they say, it wasn't on December 25th. But that doesn't take away the, the, the traditions as long as they don't nullify the words of God. And unfortunately, a lot of people, uh, myself included, before I studied the Bible, I believed in the, you know, it, it is true. It's a miracle. God visited the world. But it's uh, certainly not the end of all. And if you just believed in baby Jesus and didn't understand what Jesus grew up to become as a full human being in God and eventually was the Lamb of God's sacrifice, right. uh, then you have not understand the full plan of salvation, right? Yeah. Uh, so turn your uh, Bibles to Luke 2, verse 8. And uh, Earl, and thank you, Earl and uh, Janice, for doing the welcome. What's a great welcome. Uh, and I love the scripture Earl opened up on Isaiah, and I loved Janice's as well. I mean, both are very powerful, but this pro the prophecy in Isaiah that he, that he read was like 750-plus years before Jesus actually came to earth, which was awesome. And now we see in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, we'll just pick it up here just to recount the, the historical truth of Jesus coming into the world. Uh, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, comma, the Lord. So just stop right there. The Messiah is Savior. Save us from our sins. Comma, the Lord, though, is what really it means to understand if you're going to really become a disciple of Jesus, the way the Bible teaches. And we're going to look at that because it's a salvation issue. You don't have to earn it. But to understand Jesus is Lord would be understanding that not only do you need to understand the power of his sacrifice for your sins and willingly admitting your sins and your need to be saved, but also understanding that you're willing to make him Lord of your life and submit to him fully the best you can the rest of your life. So let's pick this up in verse 12. So after he says, you know, today the angel says, today a Savior is going to be born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. In verse 12, it says, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory be to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, 
which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise a child, he was named Jesus in the name, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So why do I read this? Well, it's important to always read the ultimate historical account. If you want to know anything about the truth of God, the Bible is the history book, yeah. the ultimate truth of history. It's a history book, but it's truth living and active by God's spirit. God, remember, the greatest way you can phrase uh, the understanding of God, I feel like one of the greatest ways in John 4, where it says, God is spirit, and those who want to worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. Well, where's the truth? The scriptures. Scripture is the truth. God is spirit. God will respond when you're accurately humbling to his truth. Amen. And that's how you'll start to be moved by God. Because if you don't go, if you go one without the other, you're, you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping a book, which is God's word. But if you just go to God and pray and worship God, but don't want, have the heart to understand the scriptures, you're going to be deceived even in your prayers. That's why Jesus had to correct people and say, I need to teach you to pray. The disciples even went, teach us to pray. We don't, we don't pray like you. So don't even feel wrong. Everything we have to learn Amen. in faith and conviction. But we got to stay in truth to have the spirit of God work. Amen? Yeah. So we see here, and I want to ask a question here. Who in the world is going to believe a bunch of peasant shepherds coming from the hills saying that, the, that the, uh, thousands of angels appeared above me and said, that little baby in that little po-down uh, little no town with no-name town, the son of God's there. That's pretty interesting. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to belittle them, but in our world today, uh, it's almost like we, we, many people have to go, I need to give credibility to write, before I believe what's being said, who's saying it, which the Bible is the actual, actually the opposite. Don't critique or, or look at the messenger, listen to the message, and then you can verify the message if it's honestly, accurately with the scriptures. But, I mean, think about this. These, these, these shepherds returned and they, and praising and glorifying God all they heard, and they told everybody else. And this story had come. Now, Elijah had prophesied this, and uh, Earl did my heavy lifting for me. That, but, but the Bible, the Old Testament prophesied a lot about that. So back at this time, a lot of people were already primed, people of God that were waiting and, and really examining the scriptures of the Old Testament and worshiping God the best they could in, from the Old Covenant, the people of God, uh, were fired up. So it wasn't just a brand new thing. They're like, whoa, here it is. Yeah. And there was other miracles that were done. But why believe this? Why do you believe this? And the question is, I believe this before I was saved. I believe this section of scripture, Luke 2, 8 through 21, a long time, even, and I thought I was saved, but I wasn't saved. So it's interesting. I believed. I believed. I don't know why I believed. I just believed. Wow. You go around neighborhoods, you see some of the, I love the, the fun lights and everything, and sometimes people put in the little manger in the front yards, right, with the lights. I always believe that. But I wasn't saved because I believe that baby Jesus is the beginning and it's a miracle. God Almighty, Mary, gave birth to the Son of God without a male human being helping her conceive. That's, that's impossible. To this day, any scientist would say that's impossible without the male contributing, even if it's artificial semination. It has to be, it's impossible to this day, you know what I mean? No one can do a smoke screen on that one. 
Point number one, don't be a scoffer. You might say, what in the world? I'm not calling you a scoffer. I'm telling you that the Bible calls us all scoffers at one point if we don't uh, really understand what God's trying to say. Because just as those shepherds went down, how do I know you're telling me the truth? What if someone came today and said, tomorrow a huge sinkhole is going to open and swallow everyone up? I would need to see the news. I'd probably turn on the news. I guess we'd probably turn on TV, a lot of us, and go, let's see if it's validated. We wear masks. Why? Because we believe what's been told us. In a year, I mean, remember in March when, when, when we were told that a virus was coming from the other side of the world? Yeah. I believed it. But I overbelieved it in a sense where I think I got a little bit, because I didn't know what was coming, but what they made it sound was, close your doors, bolt your windows, don't talk to anybody, it's coming, and it can stay alive for six hours on the counters. I don't know why I remember that. But they said, I remember saying it can stay alive, and I'm like, we're done. How are we, how is, even if it gets in, it's staying alive. I mean, I thought it was a living demon coming at us. It wasn't nearly as bad as I thought. And I'm not minimizing anybody who's lost anyone, and it was serious. But I was, I'm talking from my perspective, I was like, until it embraced it, until it started coming, and I was wearing the mask, and I followed the, I was humble before the authorities, you know, the authorities in place, God said to do that. I had a little bit more of a, not an unknown, but I still was believing something serious is coming. But Why? Because it said, they said it could kill us and there's not a, there's not a cure. Yeah. How many people does the flu die a year? Yeah. 40 million, they say, I think. A year to this day still, yeah. even though they created a vaccine. Yeah. I haven't had the flu in a long time, but I know what it feels like when you have the flu. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. I always think of that scripture when Jesus said, the flesh counts for nothing. The spirit is everything. When you're really sick, you realize... Gosh, I'm nothing. You have to calculate, is it worth, do I really need to go or can I hold a little longer before I get up from the bed and walk those 10 or 15 feet to the bathroom? You're so hurting. I mean, you have to, right? Have you ever been that sick? It's, so let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Don't be a scoffer. That's not a word we use, but the Bible uses it. Let's look at it. Dear friends. This is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through our prophets. Just stop right there. Remember when we read the, the count in Luke 2? The Messiah comma the Lord. So we're introducing, and yes, the Savior has come into the world. He wants to save us from our sins. But now we're seeing Peter writing a letter long after Christmas Day. Jesus has now, long after Jesus grew up and became 30 years old, preached his ministry, and then was killed and hung on the cross for our sins at 33. And, and even after he resurrected and walked the earth for 40 more days, he finally ascended into heaven. And this is 30 some odd years afterwards, Peter's writing this letter. Yeah. And he's saying, listen, you need to stay alert. The truth is the same. Amen. And he's saying, not only is it so important, I need to stimulate you. Please get up. Wake up. 
Snap out of it. It's as real. Don't get complacent. Wholesome thinking. And then he says here in ver the end of verse 2, I want to, you to recall the, the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through the prophets. Now it's very established. Lord must come with Savior. Lord and Savior is a salvation issue. Uh, in verse 3, he says, above all. So basically, forget about, if you don't get this, focus. Above all, this is the most important. You must understand, in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as, it's, as it has since the beginning of the creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens came into being and, uh, and the earth was formed out of water and by water by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed by the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire sorry if you thought you were going to get a fuzzy Merry Christmas message but this is a Merry Christmas message because this is God's word amen, amen. being kept for the day of judgment and destruction for the ungodly. But do not forget one thing, dear friends. With a day, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand with a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. I love when it's really a serious question. The Bible answers it right after it asks it. God says, what kind of people ought you to be? Well, let me tell you what you ought to be. You ought to live holy and godly lives in lieu of what I just shared So it's coming. Amen. Verse 12 says, as you look forward to the day of God and the speed, it's coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Look in verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, on, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and the fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Scoffer, a person who mocks or makes fun of someone or something, often of a religion or moral values. See, we need to have the courage when facing the scoffers who jeer at our faith and make ironic comments about it to help not take it personal, but to share it. Yeah. 
I can be in the middle of a Home Depot and feel this shrink because everybody goes on like the world, there's nothing wrong or anywhere. And I, why I don't know where everybody's at, I know God calls me to be a fisher of men. And the Bible does say the road is narrow and the road the, of the, who aren't going to be right with God, it's wide. So the majority, and so I, but bottom line is I don't need to evaluate that. God just says I need to be a fisher of men and throw it out there. Yeah. But sometimes I can just feel like no one seems to need God. And I don't know if they're right or wrong, but it just seems like no one in America, it looks like, doesn't even, they may, not, I'm not reading their mind, but it just, I can sense, I can feel that way. And that's a lie. Yeah. And that can cause me to be a scoffer. Yeah. Not that I'm making fun of it, but just not do anything. But this is really what it means a scoffer is someone that can read it and still go, they're not going to say that, but they're so deceived, they don't even realize it's speaking to them and they think they're okay. Yeah. Me being one of those. Until I really sat down and allowed the scriptures to, and really hold myself accountable to every single scripture. Yeah. And you know what really hurts? It's a good hurt. If you're really in the Lord... You're going to be battling every day. You're not just going to be, la, 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 I'm on autopilot saved. You're going to be going, oh, I just, you're going to be, you, if we didn't have grace, you'd feel guilty as all get out. Because yeah. I blow it throughout the day. Just in my mood, my attitude, what's going on, I just got to grab myself. And I'm not miserable, but I go, thank you, God, please help me. Why? Well, look what it says here. You can go, that's too fanatic. No, no. If you're saved by grace, it says here in verse uh, uh in verse, uh, excuse me, verse 14. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. I, can you be spotless just on autopilot, spiritually speaking? Well, you can say, well, the blood of Jesus covers our sins. Yes and no, it does, but you still need to respond and be aware of your sinfulness and then be, be moved by your overwhelming gratitude for that grace to prompt you to continue to acknowledge and change and take responsibility and not stay in the sinful pattern. Come on. So I hate to say it, I think you're going to be a little bit, you're, you have to be on your alert because of your sinfulness. You're never autopilot cured. You're just saved by believing this truth, these truths. But if you're not scared, then you should be confident in your salvation. But if you're not confident in your salvation and you're not scared, then you're a scoffer or there's probably something wrong with your mind. Because how could anyone believe they're going to be destroyed and God can come anytime? He says he's going to become like a thief in the night. How can you actually not know or kind of know or hope you're right and not really know why you're right if you ask that question? How do I know I'm right? Yeah. And if you say anything except having someone examine the scriptures and understand, because no one earns it and no one's good enough, then how can you bank on yourself by your own self-evaluation of your life experiences? That's so deceived right there. That's why it's important to understand the scriptures. That's why the shepherds carried by the Holy Spirit and the prophets did a lot of work trusting God and God used men to write it down to this day so we have it, the truth written. Right. And you grew up, if you went to church, you were hearing this over and over and over. Maybe you didn't make a move on it, but the truth has been carried and carried and preserved and carried by God through people yeah. and especially in the scriptures. And then people need to reiterate it. You know what's really interesting? Look in 2 Timothy we're going to go back to that text, but I just need to show you something here. Okay. 
And um, in Second Timothy. Go to, I'm sorry, actually, I'm sorry, look in 1 Timothy 4, excuse me. 1 Timothy 4, verse 11. You want to understand how important it is for us not only to remind each other these truths so we won't be scoffers. You know, like Peter said, I want to, I want to stimulate you. I want to remind you. I not only want to remind you, I want to go, wake up. Yeah. Stimulate someone's like, hey, you know. Imagine if you had a little little prod, a little electric prod, and someone's laying, sitting down, relaxing, and you came up behind and went, Shh, and the guy, oh, hey, I just want to stimulate you. <laughs> Why, I wouldn't suggest to do that to somebody, but the Bible's saying that's what we're supposed to do with each other with the truth. I need to stimulate you. You're too relaxed. You're too comfortable in, in where you're at and not staying on your, you know, if, if a thief could break in any time, God's not wanting us to be like, oh, no, but he's wanting us to keep focused and reliant on God. And it says here in verse 11, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. See, devote yourself. Paul's saying, listen, Timothy, this is written to all of us, but it's also to Timothy as a young leader. This is important. It's not just for the older guys in the history book. Bring the truth out. Keep talking about it. Keep bringing it up in Bible talks, in sharing your faith, in prompt studies, midweeks, church services, public reading of the scriptures. Why, just for you to stay entertained? No, to stay focused on what's going to happen and will happen no matter what. And if you drop down to verse 15, it says, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. That means you can't, if you're not concerned about the doctrine, your truth, which is scripture, adding up in your life, adding up to it, you're seriously deceived. If you don't know the Bible and aren't hungry and get and, and striving to ask God to gain more of a hunger for the scriptures, not just because you feel like I should read my Bible. No, you learn it as a discipline. You deny yourself because when you read it more and more, it's going to infect you and you're going to realize I need it. Yes. And it says persevere. That's why it says in verse 16, watch your life, doctor, closely. Persevere. Why? Because you're not going to feel like it. Yeah. I'd rather be ungodly by nature. That's what all of us are. You, even though you're saved and the Bible says deny yourself, your, your default is naturally to be ungodly, complacent, and not have the things of God in the for, first most category. Come on. Don't we all go with that? Yeah. And why? There's nothing wrong with relaxing and taking a break and having rest. You need to stay focused in your faith all the time. Amen. Vacation, not vacation. Persevering because you do, you're going to save both what? Yourself and you're here. Save from what? Hell! Yeah. The raging fires! The end of the world! And those who have died, already their eternity's fixed. So they already are, the people that died, they're, they're in the position they put themselves in. Yeah. 
So wherever they end up, that's where they are. But right now, God's for some reason is keeping the doors open. And I believe, and I don't want to get too much into this, but God says he, before, he, before he predestined those who he chose before the creation of the world. Yeah. Don't you worry about that. Don't I worry about that. But just understand God has an opening that it's going to play out for everyone that's supposed to understand and make the decision to be saved. Even though God died for everyone, everyone won't go for it. They'll sit, and a lot of people, a huge part of people will sit in religion told about truth of Jesus, but won't be fully taught saved, and they won't be open to being corrected, and they'll die unsaved too because of the sin of pride. See, the minute you're not open to correction anytime as a disciple, you're in sin. If, yeah. you're, if the Bible's correcting you, yeah. you need to stay humble. So back to uh, 2 Peter 3, awesome. verse 1. See, it's very powerful. The day of the Lord is the day of God's judgment on earth. In verse 10 and 11, that's really the second coming broken down. The day of the Lord in verse 10, 2 Peter 3 in verse 10 but the day of the lord will come like a thief the heavens will disappear with a roar the elements will be destroyed by fire and the heavens in the heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare so the earth won't be destroyed it'll be laid bare and then that's why he says since everything's gonna be destroyed this way this is the greatest question because it gives you answers. Don't you love teachers that give the questions and then they give you the answer? That's what God does for you. It's an open book test the whole way out. Amen. Walk with me. Be humble to me. You're never going to get an A, but I'm going to give you an A because your heart toward me and grace. Amen. But if you're not paying attention and want to show up or aren't interested in walking with me, you're getting an F. <laughs> It says, what kind of people ought you to be? I have it highlighted in red. What kind of people you ought, to be, ought you to be? Question make. And then he answers it. I love it. You ought to live holy and godly lives. Yeah. Not religious lives. Yeah. Truth. Godly is truthful lives from the scriptures. You don't remember, right? No one's righteous. We're saved by grace. But godly is living in truth of God's righteousness. Yeah. Righteousness is living in a right relationship based on God's word. Amen. Heart. It's a heart response. See, if you're in a relationship with God as a disciple... If you're in a right relationship with God, we, we, we will be ready and won't be surprised. Right. See, by the same time, if I do everything I can and I follow the scriptures to be saved because I wasn't saved when I thought I was saved and I studied the scriptures and humbled out and forgot about whatever church taught me something and just goes, it doesn't matter churches, what's this saying? And, and what are the people, and more importantly, the people that are, that are following this, I want to be in those people. And they're not perfect, but they're, following, they're honoring the Bible all the way through. Amen. And if, I, if that happens, even though I'm confident, I'm not going to be going, Hey, Lord! I'm still going to be in a reverence, like, like a, I don't think, I mean, I th I'm, I'm actually humbled every day and a little bit afraid, but I'm still confident in grace. Amen. Because I just know me. I'm not, I'm not worthy, but only because of grace I can get that shame off every day. Yeah. So I'm just going to be going, woo! I read about in the Bible. I, I, I can't think we can really imagine what's happened at judgment, but yeah. I'm going to be in front of God. So will you. Yeah. And it's powerful. Realizing that the earth will go through fire, fire, we should put our confidence in what lasts eternally. 
and not be bound to earthly treasures. Let me ask you, what's more important to you? Your real estate holdings, your 401k, your stocks, your job. Don't get me wrong, those, those you can pay attention to. Nothing wrong with having those. But what do you focus on more than anything? Believe me, it's subtle. you got to grab it. Nothing wrong with having those things, and those are good and responsible things in a sense as, as well. But you can drift in your mind and almost have a, a, a deceived confidence in that stuff. Yeah. And, and that's all going to burn. Why I'm saying that, what kind of people are you be? All the stuff that you may be focused on before God is going to mean squat at death. Yeah. That gets you awake, doesn't it? Do you spend more time piling up possessions or striving to develop Christ-like character? Let me ask you, do you spend more time striving to develop any Christ-like character than you're being a servant and striving to raise up and go, if, it, if I was the only person alive, what kind of church would I be? Wow. Now you have to be honest and push through that pride and go, repent and be more and give everything you have and actually act like you're going to be full-time in the ministry. You may not, but why not? We have to evangelize the world, so God needs lots of people to rise up, so why not shoot for the stars, and wherever you land out, you're awesome. Amen. Doing your best. Come on. I don't know how, if we need to get the word out and teach correctly and everything, then you should be learning the best you can, whether you go in the ministry or not, and going, I need to be able to learn myself and then be able to teach people and explain, so I, never, I need to continue to grow. And that's where he says in the, in the, end, of, uh, in the end of verse 18 in chapter 2 Peter in, in chapter 3 verse 18 look at this or let's just read 17 and 18 it's very powerful he ends this and this is written to disciples yeah. therefore dear friends since you have been forewarned be on your guard that you may not be carried away by the air of lawless and fall from your secure position that means you're saved you may fall from your secure that means once saved always saved is false doctrine because you need to stay secure in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 18 makes it clear what you need to do. But grow in the grace and knowledge. See, people will walk around saved by grace, saved by grace. But they couldn't show you out of a paper rag spiritually because they don't know their scriptures and they haven't taken time to study them. A sixth grader can understand the, first, the New Testament. A sixth grader, if they're serious, can learn to become a disciple. Because that wouldn't be fair if Jesus called people to have a certain level of intellect to be saved. So if you're humble, you'll understand the truth. If you're humble, you'll walk in it, and you'll pray for God to give you wisdom. You may not know chemistry, but you can get wise in Scripture Amen. and explain to anyone the truth. And look what it says. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. To him be glory both now and forever. Forever is a powerful word. Yes. We use it only in story fairy tales, but it's real. It's not real in Cinderella and all those people, they ended and they lived happily ever after. No, that doesn't work. You only live happily ever after forever if you're in Christ. Amen. You live miserably, eternally in horror and shame and hatred of yourself in hell if you don't get it right. You'll live forever, but you won't be happy. A scoffer. Point two. He's going to reiterate what we just talked about. Do you believe what I just said? Point two, do you believe this? Point two, do you believe this? Well, let's look at Revelations chapter 1, verse 5. I'm publicly reading scripture. Really, if I'm doing my job, I'm just ready, reading it and believing it with passion. That's really all you need to do. I'm reading public scripture to you. You have a chance to hear it. Every human being that hears it is accountable. They may not know anything, but how they, how they respond, either they leave and go, that was nice, and go home as usual, or they go, what does that mean? 
I'd like to know more. And I'll just tell you right now, if you haven't known that, you can ask me and I will make sure, or Sonia, if you're, if you're a lady, and we will sit down, personal appointments, anytime, and we'll have other leaders that have grown in the church because the Bible says to be disciples, and set an appointment and answer every biblical question you have. And not that we know everything, but we will, because we're told to be teaching and make disciples. Yeah. So don't walk out just kind of going, well, I'm okay. You better be really stimulated right now and get a little nervous if you haven't been taught the scriptures and understand what it means to become a disciple, baptized, and understand what baptism means. It's not some religious momo word. Right. It's a true part of believing in power and the faith and miracles of God. Amen. Do you believe this? Revelations 1 verse 5. Charlie Brown, bro. <laughs> I don't mean to be respectful. I think that's amazing. Willie, Charlie Brown. But I used to have friends, and we used to joke with each other. Hey, how you doing? What do you think I am? Hey, Charlie Brown, give me a soda. We used to call, affectionately call our buddies growing up. I'd say, hey, Charlie, Charlie Brown. Can you give me a soda and bring it over to me? <laughs> Charlie Brown, that's really your name? That's awesome. You're supposed to go to me. That's my name. Don't wear it out, because I'm sure people wore it out. That's what I said. That's my name. Don't wear it out. Anyway, it's great to have you. Uh, in verse 5, it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the, is the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests, to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. Wow. I never not get wowed when I read that one. Wow. That's a wow. That's a stimulating Mike Tyson spiritual right hook. That's a wow. Amen. That's a bah. Yeah. Come on, Chris. Come on. The eye, every eye will see him. Do you understand what he's saying? You, you believe this? Are you going to, nah. you, no one politically is going to be incorrect in church. Nah, I don't believe. Everybody's going, amen. Amen. Praise God, bro. <laughs> see, that's what I did. But you really, I was really a scoffer inside, amen. I was too, I, I didn't even care or I didn't want to know, but I didn't stay close enough where I'd go to church and nothing changed about me. I'd be in sexual immoral, smoking dope, nothing changed. So I didn't even know swearing was a sin until someone showed me, let no filthy language come out of your lips. I went, wow, bad language. So when I, if when I had to really work when I started studying the Bible to catch myself and God help me new, learn a new language. And everybody swears almost. Even now, it's so bad. Back in the day, when I was younger and you go to department stores and stuff, they were trained with etiquette. Now I'll go to this clothing store and someone will be on the phone. They won't even get off the phone while they're ringing me up. They're talking to their friend. The, the personal customer service and the character is, I sound like my grandfather. It's going to hell in a handbasket. But then they'll be talking to maybe another employee and they'll be going effing this or ripping to him. And I'm, I'm like, I'm a customer. Do you hear me? It's just crazy. And what I say that is, it's not that I'm making a bad line. I'm just saying, you understand, if someone continues to lose foul language and doesn't go, sorry, gosh, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm trying to work on that, and they just swear and keep going, they really don't know what a Christian is. 
Because there's, see, you can sin, but if you're really in touch with the words of God, you'll sin and you'll either, someone will say, bro, and you'll go immediately, go, oh my gosh. Or maybe, maybe you're just, maybe you didn't even realize it. You lost your temper and something came out and someone will say, bro, did you just swear? And you're going to go, you're not going to go, no, I didn't. You're going to go, did I? Yeah, bro, I just heard you swear. And then as a disciple, your response is going to go, really prove it. Do you have it on recording? That's not a disciple. Disciple's going to go, gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I, I didn't even realize I did it in my anger. I apologize. You're going to immediately acknowledge I'm sorry. Anything in sin, you're going to immediately acknowledge I'm sorry if you're walking with the Lord. You're not going to debate and argue. You're going to go, oh, and your spirit will be bothered. I quit smoking cigarettes when I became a Christian. I promise if I smoked a cigarette after I made the decision to put it to death, and thank God he gave me the power because I thank God for cigarettes and cocaine because that's what got my attention because really in a weird way because I thought I, I could do, I thought I was pretty strong and doing things. And that's one thing that kept bringing me to my knees. I kept saying I was going to quit and I didn't quit. And I kept saying I'm going to quit and I didn't quit. And then I started, when I started studying the Bible and, and with disciples and started showing me the power, I committed and said, help me, God. And then I let men in my life, and they held me accountable. And I sought the kingdom. I wanted something every day. Where's next? Where's next? I was first in midweeks, Bible talks. Is there a party? Someone's having, I don't know. Can I go? Can I go? I just wanted to be around disciples. But I continued to pray in the morning, pray during the day. And I had the physical withdrawal, but I didn't do it. And every day I got stronger. And that's where I realized, oh, my gosh, he does want to help me change. So whatever your biggest challenge is, you're not going to God enough if you're being defeated over and over because God said, I will give you the strength to overcome. That's why we walk with God. Amen. Come on, Chris. You believe this. Well, let me tell you, if you don't, you may not even know that you don't believe it. Look in 2 Thessalonians 2 because Satan we got to bring into the play. We got to bring Satan into the playbook because any good athletic team has to know their adversity, right? And their adversary. So we know that Satan's part of the playbook. He's in the game no matter what. And if you look in verse 9, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. So this is great. See, when you read the Bible, Satan's ticked off. It's like if you were in an anti-terrorism unit, and by the way, Laclita, I was in the military, and I did do that 40-foot thing. I was in the infantry, 11 Bravo. Right now, I would just fall off and die on that cliff. But back, I'm 60 in about two weeks. Almost 40 years ago, I joined the Army, 38 years ago. And I remembered that when you said that. I was like, whoa. <laughs> But if you're understanding anti-terrorism, which that's what I was in, uh, you got to know your enemy. And even in the military, they helped us understand whoever the adversary at that time. And funny enough, I, I love my brothers in Russia, but in the 82, we had Russian uniform targets and we were trained to look at them and shoot them and kill them. We had targets, it was just straight up. We'd be in classrooms and we'd be studying the Russian warfare because in 82, the Cold War, they were the ultimate superpower against us and they were the ones that we went to war. Pretty crazy, I became a disciple. Now I hug my Russian brothers and sisters. We have churches in Moscow. I was like, this is weird. The army's not my Lord, Jesus is now. Amen. And I know Jesus is your Lord. You're gonna be a light in, that, in there. The lawless one, see, it's a playbook. He exposes the terrorism of Satan. The law, the coming of the laws will be in accordance with how Satan works. Now the Bible is going to tell us how Satan works. Isn't that amazing? Most people don't look into it, so they don't even know they're being deceived because they don't unveil how Satan works. And it says he will use all sorts of displays of power 
through signs and wonders that serve the lie. But you don't know it's a lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. See, deceives those who are perishing. If you are deceived, you don't know you're being deceived at that time. You need to be stimulated. You need to be woken up. I need to be stimulated. I need to be continually woken up by discipleship relationships. One another, spurring one another on. I've got to be willing to go. It's not comfortable, but I'm going to be an open book to everyone. Not because I have to, because I don't want to be deceived. And I want like-minded brothers and my wife to go, you're not getting away with it. I love you. Like, what are you talking about? And I go, oh, thank you, honey. So... Why are we perishing? You see, look, in verse, look at the second part of verse 10. They perish. This is now they're telling, that's telling what Satan does. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be faithful. This is the deal breaker. When you study the Bible with somebody and you share their scriptures, be patient because you need patience. But you don't make it about you. And if they start to argue, you read the arguing and you go, I'm sorry. I must not be communicating well. I'm sorry if I offended you. Let's read that again, if you don't mind, because it seems like you're angry at me, and I may have not read the scripture right. Let me read it again. You read it, and then if they get defensive with you, go, I'm sorry. Do you understand what we just read? It seems like you're mad at me, but you're really, maybe if you understand that, you're probably, you're mad at God, because you're not, you're trying to defend or explain your position. That's not, because it doesn't fit into the scripture. See that? So, because that basically, even though that people don't know it, they're refusing, and they're going to get mad. When you tell them, you refuse to love the truth. No one in their right mind is going to say, I don't refuse to love the truth. Yes, you do. And so be saved. Look at verse 11. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. And so that all will be condemned who would believe the truth. Have not believed the truth, excuse me, but have delighted in wickedness. See, the secret power of the lawlessness is already at work. It means that the work of the Antichrist will do, is already going on, what he'll do. Why? Because the greatest sinful nature that sprouts all our sins is pride. And if we as disciples don't stay focused, weak, it, it's the worst thing you can do. Striving to be a servant and humble, which is against everything in our DNA, is the blessing. Pride, you could be the strongest Christian, and that pride starts to flare up, and you start to drift, and you don't want to listen. Who are you? You start getting these weird things like, who are you? Who are you to ask? None of your business. You start even talking like it's none of your business. Don't get up my business. I have way more to do than take enough energy to ask how you're doing, or if you had a drinking problem, to go, how's your, are you okay? Are you being strong in your drinks? I haven't talked to you in a while. Well, how are you doing? What are you up to? Bro, what? You told me to hold you accountable five months ago. Now you're all mad at me. I'm asking you a question. What happened? Because your pride's come back up. Who are you? Right? I'm not going to force nothing down. Someone starts to argue with me. I'm going to go, I'm just going to reiterate. No offense. Sorry if I disrespect you. I'm just trying to help you because you claim to be Jesus Lord. I'm Jesus Lord. You can ask me anything. But if you're going to argue anymore, then we're going to stop. Because I can't break through the power of Satan because your pride, no matter what I say, you're going to have a powerful delusion if you don't humble out right now, no matter what. That's why Jesus did not continue with Pharisees or anybody that argued with him. He walked away. He left towns because of that. Yeah. It's not God can't do it. He just won't. Yeah. Lawlessness is a hidden, subtle, underlying force from which all sin springs. And that's what he's talking about here. 
the lawlessness. Lawlessness is, a, is the hidden, subtle, underlying force from which all sin springs. Isn't that true? When you lose your temper and you catch yourself, what in the world did you do that for? And you go, I'm sorry, but it's unfortunate. We still can lose our temper. We get better at it, but anger's terrible because it's a hidden, subtle, underlying force that's agitating you, making you annoyed. It might even be something else, and someone comes in and goes, how was your day? Why are you asking me that? It's not even doing anything, but you're just ticked off from something else. It's sin. Just get used to it. It's Satan trying to provoke. Civilization, civilization is where we're at. Civilization still has the veneer of decency in our world. Why? Because law enforcement, education, science, all those things, as imperfect as they are and corruption as they are, they're still it's still holding back the craziness when God says it's done, let it all go. And then it's chaos on earth at the end of the world. Just trust me. If everybody could do what they want and there was no more police, no more government, no more army, no more anybody that cares, no one that's even gonna stick their neck out, everybody just, everyone for themselves. In a matter of a month, there'll be people driving blazers with their roofs cut off and machine guns shooting people. It'll be Lord, it'll be like drug lords and, and the strongest take the streets. And if you're not, you're gonna be taken out and everybody else is gonna be in their houses and the love of most will grow very cold because we're scared to death and we don't trust nobody. And it'll become a lack. It'll be like some of those countries you see already that have no government. And they're just killing each other. Don't think because they're from a different country that they're any different. The sinful nature will sprout fully if there's not even the human powers to be that God's put in place. The human authorities. We are not any better. We have not cleaned up more than the caveman's heart. And although, although we can be horrified at criminal acts, we've yet to seen the real horror of complete lawlessness when Satan is allowed to fully come. To show people their own sinfulness. Why does God do this? Well, I believe he's going to do this to show people and nations their own reality of sinfulness. We aren't good people. I don't mean that in a down, but you know where God says no one's good. It doesn't mean we, need to, we can't do good deeds. But God is saying, I'm going to unleash it where there's this, you're going to see the reality of really what you are and what civilization you are in. I've just been holding it back to the, to the instated governments to be and things. Yeah. Sinful as they are. And why does God allow us to happen? To show people and the nations their own sinfulness and to show them by bitter experience the truth alternative to the Lordship of Christ. Yeah. The lawless one will use displays of power through signs and wonders to deceive and draw a following. Make no mistake, there's powerful miracles that Satan is allowed to do, God allows. This is how you can know if it's not a miracle from God. Miracles from God can help strengthen our faith and lead people to Christ, period. If there's anything else going on for blah, ha, ha, or look at me, it's totally wrong. All miracles are not necessarily from God, according to that scripture we just read. Counterfeit miracles. It says counterfeit miracles, not magic shows. It's, God, it's satanic things, and that's why it says witchcraft is a major sin, which yeah. is going into an occult, you can draw stronger into the demonic world. Yeah. The last point coming in for landing is baby Jesus can't save anyone, but the Lord Jesus can. No disrespect to baby Jesus because 
it is God Almighty that came to the earth, a miracle. But if you stop right there and go, oh, baby Jesus, let's pray to baby Jesus. Let's thank baby Jesus for our dinner. Baby Jesus, thank you so much for helping me. That would be ridiculous yeah. as a disciple, thanking baby Jesus. It sounds ridiculous. You know, you know, I'm not going to bring up any names, but it was in my family line. We'd show up for a custom, and this is when none of us were disciples, but we all believed in God. But we'd show up, and there would be a cake, and they'd have a little baby Jesus on the cake, and we'd sing to baby Jesus. I really drank the Kool-Aid in the Klopek family. And no disrespect to my older people that have passed away, but we did that. I don't think they meant it by respect, but baby Jesus... I mean, amen for baby Jesus. Came into the world. The Messiah has come. God Almighty, a miracle, a miracle. Awesome. It had to happen. It's like, wow. But it doesn't just stop there. Look in Mark 16, 9. Chapter 16, verse 9. You guys with me? When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom... He had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Just like I said, who's going to believe the, the farmers, the peasant farmers coming out of the hills going, guess what? The angels of God appeared to us and not you in your mansion and your Ferrari. They came to us. We don't have an education. We don't have a career like you, and we're on the street. They came to us. Most people are going to go, get off my land. I'm calling the cops. That's a crazy person. They didn't believe Mary. Why? There was a prejudice against women, by the way, in the government back then. Back then, the women couldn't even testify in court. But these are disciples, and they still let the culture dismiss it. Why didn't they believe her? Just like you don't believe fully the scriptures at times. Look at that. This is a truth. She went and told them. Those who had been with him and were mourning and weeping because he died, they were still mourning and weeping, even though he preached over and over, I'll be the Lamb of God and raised from the dead. They actually, even though they said they believed, they were still mourning and weeping. Why were they mourning and weeping if they really believe he's coming back? They didn't see him yet. So their whole thing was a house of cards, so to speak. They were weak. They were like at a funeral. Instead of going, I'm coming back in three days. That's why Judas hung himself. Three days he didn't believe. He didn't come through and repent. He isolated. Verse 12. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. They returned and reported to the rest, but they did not believe him either. So let me tell you, if they're struggling with not believing the scriptures, we will. I mean, you guys walked with them. They saw them do miracles actually real right in front of them. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating, and he rebuked, stimulated, rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after they'd risen. See, he expects unbelief needs to be dealt with and repented of. You're not allowed to stay in unbelief. You can doubt, but you, if someone goes, I just don't believe, I'm just not, it's not for me, I, I always go, you're not getting away that easy in my mind. I'm not going to end it up in a bow. Well, you know, everybody has a right to believe. I go, you know what, bro, you're making the biggest mistake in your life. Yeah. And they may, I may never see him again. They're going to, I'm not take, don't take it personal. I believe this is truth. I read it to you. I've done my job. I've read God's word and you're walking away. You are not in a right relationship. You're walking away and I don't want the blood on my hands. So I want to make sure that you understand what you're doing. Doors always open here, by the way, but I ain't running after you because that's not God's plan. 
not gonna bring you juice and little presents and leave them on your door and little cute notes. If you're not open, just call me man to man. Let's get together and study again. I'm here whenever you need me. And I'll help you anyway if you don't want to repent, but I'm still gonna remind you. You're never gonna have me not remind you. If, you're, if someone comes to my life, we're not just gonna be friends. We're gonna be friends with me reminding you. How you doing, bro? You thinking about what you're studying? So either you're gonna change or you're gonna leave. Because I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to save souls. Then it says here, so look, at, look how many people aren't believing him. Verse 11, uh, I mean, verse 14, later the disciples appeared to the 11 as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he'd risen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Go do it. Quit doubting. Go. See, when you're struggling, just open your Bible, pray, get open, go out and share your faith. Don't wait and go, I need to work on it. Go! Jesus rebuked him and said, get over it. Now get out there and do what we talked about. Bring it. But you know, when he rebuked him, it's basically stimulating him. What are you doing? I'm right here. Duh! You didn't believe the woman because you're still prejudiced in that culture against women. You didn't give her validity because the culture says women don't have that right back then. So he exposed that because why didn't you believe her? And then the other guys came and you didn't believe them. And he rebuked them. You see that? He wasn't comfortable with them. He said, I'm going to rebuke you. See, if someone doesn't repent when they see the scriptures, rebuke them. Amen. Doesn't mean you yell and be mean, but you got to go, what are you doing? And they may go, hey, I said nothing personal. I'd say nothing personal. I am not going to calm down because you are defying and contemptuous against God taking your time. He's still on the cross and you're saying you know it, but you're waiting to get around to it? You're insulting the spirit of grace and God, my God, and I got to calm down. Forgive me because I'm taking it personal, but I know I'm not supposed to because I want you to repent. The emphasis. So look in, uh, look in Acts 2, 36. Acts 2.36, remember, baby Jesus can't save anyone, but the Lord Jesus can. Baby Jesus was the miracle, God Almighty coming as a son. You know, there's not much comment about Jesus when he was born, except the little talks when he was born. Then the day after, we don't really hear much. And then we see when he was 12, and they said he did grow in wisdom and stature, and he was sharp. But between 12 and 30, that's 18 years. That's a trip. 18 years, he was a human being, obeying his parents, growing up as an old person. He was a carpenter. Back then, if you were a carpenter, let me tell you, if they did a movie and Jesus was the movie, the guy wouldn't be weak and limpy. He'd be, he'd be muscular. Not, not like a muscle lifter, but to be a carpenter back then, you had to move great things. It was great strength. When you were doing carpentry, moving big things, it, it took might. He was, a musc he was a fit man. But think about it. 18 years, we didn't hear nothing about him. But it's God. And the Bible doesn't have to explain to us what was going on. We just need to understand what we need to understand for salvation. That's, what God, that's why God gives us the word. So in the scripture here, it says uh, in, uh, uh, in verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured that God has made this Jesus, whom you've crucified, both Lord and Messiah. There it is. See, the Lamb of God fulfilled his purpose. Baby Jesus grew up, had to be a human in every way, and then he became Lord, and then he died on the cross as the Lamb of God, and this is what they're making it clear to all of us, too. From now on, God has made this Jesus, whom we, anyone who understands, we all sinned. Yeah. So we all are responsible. He says, both Lord and Christ, Messiah. 
When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That's a heart of responsiveness. To the rest of your life, you, you continue to go, what do, I, what do I need to do? And let me be cut by God's word. Let me be cut by brothers or sisters discipling me. Uh, if it's the scripture's truth. And then Peter answers, repent and be baptized, every one of you, not some of you. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, that's the words of God, the fellowship, that's one another, together in church or, or disciples together, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Here we see it's not just kind of having a persuasion. When you're warning and pleading someone to get right with God, that's pretty serious. He says he warned them and he pleaded with them. I mean, this is really powerful. He's basically saying, save yourself, get right. Now we come to the final scripture to put this in your question as you leave. Luke 6, 46, because I was asking you, why would anybody say they believe and don't do something? Well, that's what Jesus asked. It still blows Jesus away. That's what he said to a lot of people. Look what it says in Luke 6, 46. Luke 6, 46, because we just said God made this Jesus Lord, right? Well, here he's talking to people. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Isn't that a simple question? <laughs> Jesus couldn't put it away. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, you religious person? You person that put your hand up when you sing and you close your eyes and hallelujah and you're not obeying. You're doing all these emotions, but you walk out and you don't have a life that represents lordship to me. You do, you pick and choose, but when, you're, when you do it, you do it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Jesus is baffled like I am, and like anybody would be once you get it. I'm not being self-righteous. But like, I get that. If I'm going to make Jesus Lord, then I'm going to be striving to be obedient to everything, and I'm going to strive to repent because repentance needs to be part of your life because no one can obey everything without repentance. But he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. Isn't that such a simple question? But most people won't sit down enough to reason with that, even if they go to church, if they're not right. And he says, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words, puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on rock. When the pressure, when the flood came, the torrent struck the house, that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice like a man who built a house on the ground without foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed with a destruction. Its destruction was complete. Why would someone build a house without a foundation? People do that. They cut corners. It's not like the contractor with the license they'll take. They'll take the cheaper guy. And they don't really ask, is this to code? And the guy will explain to them, I can do it. Then when you try to sell the house, you're in trouble. Because even if it's still up, they're going to want to see the permits on the square footage. So they won't even count it. Promise. They won't even count it when you're trying to sell it. And then it gets mixed up. And someone goes, I'm not going to buy this house because it wasn't full. Even if, it was, even if it's strong enough to stay, you, don't have, you didn't do it right. And spiritually, that's the same thing. Perhaps maybe they don't build on the foundation because it will save time and it will avoid, avoid hard work or commitment. I just want to hear the, the way that I can build in Jesus, but it's not, I don't want to hear it's not right, but just get enough people around me, it's okay. But you're not building on the foundation according to word. 
because it's hard work. And I got to actually really put God first and realign my relationships. So they're not going to like that. There's going to be people, people upset. Why are you going to, what are you doing? Yeah. Or possibly because waterfront scenery is more attractive. Maybe the big church with the great singing. Nothing wrong with great singing. We got great singers, but the organ music and the pipes and the building so beautiful. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going there. Well, if you go there just for that and not the truth, you're deceived. Yeah. Not to say that every church should grow in their singing and whatnot, but it has to be disciples. Yeah. I've been, I, I know people at churches where they hire people that can play musicians, and they're out on the back in the break taking a cigarette break. They're not members. Yeah. What in the world's that? You, don't, you have people worship. Everybody who raises up, you develop what you've got, and you go there. Yeah. You're not trying to hire people out to make it the best. Perhaps because they want to join their friends who've already settled in the sandy areas. And there's a lot of people in the sandy areas already that say, I'm fine, nothing's happening, we're right. I can tell you, my pastor, my teacher, my brother, my father, my family's done this, we're all saved. Just, that church is freaked out. You're okay. Yeah. But they don't get into the Bible and show you how to become a disciple. Yeah. Maybe because they haven't heard about the violent storms coming. Maybe they just build it and they said, there's never going to be any violent storms coming here. Well, you ask people even here that know there's hurricanes. All of them go, I can't believe it. This has never happened. Those tornadoes that all hit in the Midwest. Every time you get, I feel bad for those people, but every time you have someone that has a disaster come through and you, they, they, the news does it, they go, I can't believe it. This has never happened. We got nothing left. We have to rebuild. And that's sad. But they didn't really calculate, could that really happen? Maybe they just won't think disaster happens to them. This won't happen to me. God knows my heart. God knows my heart. See, if you say that without measuring up to the sin, your sin, and letting the Bible stimulate you to seeing who you are, you should be going, instead of being secure, God knows my heart, you should be terrified. <gasps> God does know my heart. i got to get right. Because you're so confident in your self-righteousness. You think you're a good person. You're not. Either am I. Only in Christ we can become better, but we must center on grace. So... No one knows about the day, not even the angels nor the Son, only the Father. Matthew 24, 36. He says on from that, he says, as in the days of Noah. He already references a time that the world was destroyed. It's going to be, as in the day of Noah, it would be like the coming of the Son of Man. The days when the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying. Up to the day Noah entered the flood. Everybody didn't believe Noah. He was a long-haired, crazy coot from the outside country. He was a country coot. That's what they looked at him at, just this guy, and he probably did look kind of sane, long hair, big beard, and, and telling everybody, listen up, and he probably wasn't quiet, he was probably loud, and he was a man who worked with his hands, and imagine him telling that to civilization for 100, to 100 years took to make the argument, no one listened. Yeah. See, heaven is not our goal. It can be in the goals, but we have a lot of work to do, because when he saves you, he keeps you alive. Yeah. Why? just to hang around, enjoy your life, and build your houses and invest? No, he keeps you alive to be a worker. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Everyone must raise up to learn, to continue, to publicly teach and share Scripture and continue to strive to let people become disciples. Everyone, not some. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Baby Jesus became the Lamb of God. Don't be a scoffer and don't believe scoffing. And the final point is uh, the, the, the Jesus, uh, we can't, good night. <laughs> Baby Jesus can't save you. Yes. Only Lord 
Jesus can save you. And to God be the glory. Amen. Amen.